4: from KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. We begin in Washington where Democrats in California's congressional delegation are calling on the Biden administration to expand federal firefighting capacity. KQED's Scott Schaefer reports the move comes as climate change threatens to make wildfires a
0: year-round problem. Nearly two dozen California Democrats, including Senators Dianne Feinstein and Alex Padilla, are asking the Biden administration to reclassify federal firefighter positions from seasonal to permanent. In a letter to the Secretaries of Agriculture and Interior, the lawmakers note that wildfires now require more year-round vigilance. We understand here, not just in the Central Coast, not just in California, but in the American West, that no longer is wildfire season just a season. It's, as we say in our, in our letter, it's the new normal now. That's Central Coast Congressman Jimmy Panetta. He helped spearhead the letter after he says a wildfire in the Carmel Valley last year forced him and his family to flee. The letter notes that more than half the forest land in California is owned and managed by the U.S. government. And while the request doesn't name a price tag, Panetta says it will more than pay for itself. We believe that the investment of having a permanent wildfire force for our federal lands will obviously outweigh the cost of having to prevent and recover. It's more about uh, making sure that we're also there to prevent them, and which this permanent wildfire force can do. The letter comes after a year where nearly 10,000 wildfires killed 33 people in California. With the state facing a possible drought, the problem is likely to get worse. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer.
4: Vaccine eligibility is expanding in California this week, although health officials across the state are warning that supplies might be limited. Starting on Thursday, Californians ages 50 and up can get their shot. And on April 15th, anyone 16 and older will be eligible for a vaccine. The state is expecting to get an increase in vaccine doses starting this week, but that is unlikely to keep up with the number of people who are now eligible under the new vaccination guidelines. Under those new guidelines, people can bring adult family members to get vaccinated if one person has an appointment. But as KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports, L.A. County isn't ready to do that across the board.
2: Expanding eligibility to family members of someone with an appointment is part of an attempt to accelerate the inoculation of communities disproportionately ravaged by the virus. We're a little worried about
3: trying to do this at a large pod.
2: That's LA County's Chief Science Officer Paul Simon. He says too many unregistered people could create a bottleneck.
3: If you have a a car with one person who has an appointment, but then multiple other people in the car that uh, haven't registered, it takes some time to, to register folks. So we're worried about just immediately rolling that out everywhere.
2: Instead, Simon says L.A. County will send extra doses to a couple of its smaller sites for now. The county is expecting a significant increase in doses this week, although officials caution it will still take months to get shots in the arms of everyone who wants to be vaccinated. For The California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles.
4: We're going to go to Placer County now, where the sheriff's office is under scrutiny for spreading misinformation about the COVID-19 vaccine. In January, Sheriff Devin Bell made international headlines after announcing a local man had died hours after getting the shot. Autopsy results pending at the time later showed that wasn't true. Earlier, I spoke with reporter Ryan Sabelow of the Sacramento Bee, which obtained emails between the sheriff's office and Placer County public health officials
3: was picked up by Chinese state media. Fox News had a piece on it. And you got to remember when this uh, came out, I mean, this was right as the vaccines were starting to roll out. So people were, were nervous. And there were a few reports out there of people suddenly getting allergic reactions or even dying after receiving these vaccines. But, you know, these horror stories that were coming out hadn't all the way gotten through kind of like what the official cause of death was, right?
4: So when you uh, set out to get these records, uh, what you're really looking for is what was the debate like between the Placer County Sheriff's Office and the public health officials in the county? What did you learn after looking through these emails?
3: Initially, the, the county declined to release any of these. And so we had to get our attorneys involved. And once we got the first batch of emails, it became pretty clear that the director of the Health and Human Services Agency, Dr. Ron Oldham, had some really big concerns about this. Uh, He actually had an email exchange with the undersheriff and and urged him, we feel like this is way premature, we really wish you wouldn't do it, but he said by that point, the sheriff's office mind was already made up. So to try to kind of limit the damage, the emails show that he Uh, helped actually craft the statement that went out on Facebook. And meanwhile, as all that's going on, you see that he's emailing the governor's top health officials, basically giving them a heads up. He's emailing county health officers all around, kind of giving them all a heads up that this is coming. Because as expected, it becomes news when a coroner's office says somebody died right after getting a vaccine.
4: Ryan, what have we learned from this experience? I mean, this is a case study in what not to do, it sounds like.
3: Yeah, I mean, a week later, the sheriff had to put out a second statement basically saying the person did not die from the vaccine. And when I talked with experts in in this world, you know, one of the things they say is that that's the challenges when you vaccinate millions and millions of people, right? Or if you give any medication to millions and millions of people, Mm. inevitably... When you have those huge numbers, bad things are going to happen to some of those people immediately after getting the shot or taking a drug or whatever. And it takes time to figure out whether that's indeed the cause of death or not. And in this case, it wasn't the cause of death. And so I think if there's a lesson to be learned from any of this stuff, as your listeners are hearing information about the vaccines, wait till the official cause of death is known until jumping to any sort of conclusions.
4: That was Ryan Sabalow with the Sacramento Bee. More than three dozen unaccompanied migrant girls temporarily staying at the San Diego Convention Center have tested positive for COVID-19. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services says the 37 girls are among 500 being housed at the Convention Center. They're in quarantine and are not showing symptoms. Officials say they'll continue testing at the site every three days to make sure the virus doesn't spread. Staff from a local children's hospital will also be on hand in the event that any of the positive cases get worse. The convention center is just one of several facilities temporarily housing migrant children across the country for the Office of Refugee Resettlement. The Biden administration says it's looking to free up space to move children out of overcrowded border patrol custody more quickly. Well, the massive failure of California's unemployment insurance program during the pandemic has highlighted yet again the state's outdated technology. Billions of dollars were lost to fraud as people in need of help waited weeks for relief. But despite these public failings, or maybe because of them, there's a push at the highest levels of state government to change how California goes about procuring and updating its technology. KQED's Katie Orr has the story. The news reports on the size and scope of the
2: unemployment fraud at the Employment Development Department were jaw dropping. At least $11 billion in fraudulent claims paid to crime rings and incarcerated people. This is just the tip of the iceberg. More than $500,000 in unemployment benefits went to a group of prisoners, including two serving life sentences, according to Orange County. But this is hardly the first high tech meltdown the state has experienced. Some of California's largest agencies rely on a 60-year-old computer programming language for some of their operations, including EDD, the DMV, and Medi-Cal's fee-for-service program, so-called legacy systems. Assemblyman David Chu has served on the Assembly Budget Committee for six years. He says efforts to modernize these systems tend to go off the rails.
0: As legislators, we are often asked To approve tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, on top of budgets that have been blown, projects that are years behind in being completed.
2: Perhaps one of the largest culprits is Fiscal, which is supposed to improve the state's financial management. The original $138 million budget has grown to about 10 times that amount, and the completion date has been pushed out by more than 10 years. Chu says lawmakers are often put in tough positions when dealing with half-done projects.
0: From my perspective, the legislature generally acquiesces to the incremental budget requests where we continue to throw good money after bad.
2: Amy Tong knows she's facing a lot of skepticism from lawmakers. She's California's chief information officer and director of the Department of Technology. And Tong says the state has become a lot more transparent about its IT failures. We're upfront. front. We're not like saying, oh, not our problem. We own it. We fix it. We keep moving. That is a culture shift. The department has laid out its goals in its Vision 2023 strategic plan, which includes delivering fast and secure public services and making common technology easy to use across government. Tong says the state also recognizes that overhauling an entire system at once isn't practical. So... No more a big rip and replace a big system. Because when you do that, imagine the retraining. It's awful. Instead, she says something more manageable. Let's take a look. What are the big things you need to do, but do it in a more modular manner? And then you can do it a lot quicker. A key part of this new strategy is a change in how California procures its technology. In 2019, Governor Gavin Newsom signed an executive order implementing a new procurement system. Instead of the state telling vendors what it needs and how they should get there, Tong says California is trying a new approach of presenting a specific problem to vendors. Tell me what idea you can bring forward in solving that and demonstrate to me how you will solve that. So that's the two-step process that we have implemented. This new method won't help with the current EDD mess. And while it's been shown to work on smaller projects, it hasn't yet been proven when it comes to updating legacy systems. But as more departments move toward upgrading their technology, the state will soon see whether this latest approach helps bring California into the future or ends in another expensive IT mess. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento.
4: Starting today, renters in Los Angeles can apply for up to $10,000 in relief through the city's COVID-19 Emergency Rental Assistance Program. This is the second round of funding provided by the city. Of the $259 million, two hundred thirty-five million is designated for direct rental assistance, with the rest going to eviction defense. Here's L.A. City Council President Nuri Martinez. A year into the pandemic, 90,000 Californians are still behind their rent. The city's unemployment is still over 10 percent and families in our city owe anywhere between $4,000 and $7,000 in past rent due. Funding is available for people who live in Los Angeles who have been impacted by the pandemic or been unemployed for more than 90 days. They also have to have a combined household income at or below 50 percent of the area median income. Finally this morning, the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk will begin to reopen rides this Thursday. Starting with the Giant Dipper. The roller coaster was built in 1924, making it the oldest in California. That ride and others will be open only to California residents. Other restrictions include mandatory face coverings, social distancing, and capacity limits. The boardwalk is already open for eating, shopping, and outdoor games. In Southern California, Pacific Park on the Santa Monica Pier has announced it's preparing to reopen its rides, but hasn't said exactly when. And that is the California Report for this Tuesday, March 30th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Dramali.
0: Support for the California Report comes from the law firm Perkins Cooey, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at perkinscoie.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. And Hint! Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors, like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com.
4: Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world.
3: I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California.